Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Shredded Ed, Cardio Johnny, Paul C, Matt Mork Super Troll, and Brazil Hadley. The best infotainment show around where you'll hear us joke, banter, and debunk all the nutritional myths you've heard time and time again, helping you get fit, healthy, and shredded. Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. I am sure this is episode 21, but I might be wrong. So that's how many episodes we got through, but... Um, I haven't got Ed to correct me today. It's uh, myself at the moment, only one and only Martin McDonald. Hello, Martin. Hello. How are you? I am fantastic. Um, I've been trying to pin you down for quite a while, but you obviously are such a busy man. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. No. We have got you though, so I am entirely grateful. Um, let's uh, let's get started with just a little bit about you, because obviously I know all about you, because. Um, Obviously, I consider you very much one of my mentors, which I'm sure you already know. Um, but I guess some of the listeners might not know. So if I can just find out a bit more about you and then we'll crack on. Yeah. So brief background. I started out kind of quite um, sports nutrition based. So I started, I suppose my interest in nutrition really started myself in terms of I I used to play football. I snapped, ruptured um, my anterior cruciate ligament in my knee playing football and then it kind of got me into the gym and I basically decided that I want to um, bodybuild so I, uh, I was, I've always been a bit obsessed with muscles so I had like an older brother and I thought he was amazing because he had big, big muscles and he worked out and got my first weight set at 12 and these kind of things but so I was always interested in training and nutrition and sport and these kind of things so went to university to study sport and exercise science and my um parents were not particularly pleased with that um and i don't think i've ever said this on you know i've done a few podcasts now giving introductions i've never actually said this that my parents very much were like you'll never make a career out of that like it's a ridiculous avenue to take and um i i suppose in a way i've turned into them because i'm sort of telling people that now that um it's such a generalist subject that unless you are specifically i want to be a sports scientist which no one actually does want to be when they do sports science um it's it's a bit of a a very generalistic thing so actually my pe teacher at the time sports studies teacher said to them um oh no lots of people graduate from loughborough and they can go and like it's a great university and it's got good teaching so you can go and be an accountant you can do this and the other and they're like oh okay that's good um but anyway then so through competing in in bodybuilding uh i you know got more and more interested in nutrition and then decided to specialize did my master's and um two postgraduates one in clinical nutrition one in um, sports performance nutrition and then basically my consultancy was born so i did some lecturing for university students because i lo- i love the teaching side of things which you know is kind of how you and i have crossed paths mm-hmm. and um yeah the it, it just grew and grew so I, I worked with lots of athletes and then because i worked with a lot of body composition stuff obviously the big thing i know lots of the people who kind of probably listen to your podcast are in, interested in like health and weight loss so i moved more and more into the weight loss area because of working with weight loss in sport it was like oh you're the expert on weight loss and you've been in shape type scenario so yeah just more and more then you know mac nutrition my consultancy was born and and we worked with everyone from athletes to business people to general population and then just move further and further into because i always have had this passion for public speaking and education and this kind of pastoral thing of and and as well i, I suppose the the selfish side of it is i like to have my opinion asked so it's 
that in in education that's kind of a given that you're you're it's almost like you don't have to ask my opinion I, my job is to tell you my opinion so uh, it, it kind of went well and then the fitness industry stuff because there's so much kind of misinformation it was such a brilliant area to be able to go in and because I my degree in masters they didn't teach me much other than I could read research really well and you know started to develop the critical mindset that um, I suppose I've become known for or MNU or Mac Nutrition have become known for so yeah and then today the biggest part I suppose in my life is that the education side and, and then Mac Nutrition Uni which I suppose is what has brought this about. Yes absolutely so um, I'll preface before we get into any of the uh topic or any of the stuff you want to talk about today with that if anyone listening is interested in nutrition we would obviously only advocate one place you've had so much great feedback and just kind words said by like everybody on the course um which i'll be honest must be massively humbling but yeah i mean i I read it now and like i read everyone's comments that goes out on facebook and else and to be honest like i i couldn't agree more i mean obviously i've said enough things privately to you about how it's changed my life, the, the, the content to a certain extent. I know that's that's quite a statement, but it generally has. Um, and I think that's just a credit to you guys. And I'm sure, obviously, if Matt and Ed, when eventually they get on, they'll they'll all, and even Paul and Johnny, which I don't think can make today, but they would all say exactly the same thing. So if anyone is interested, you have to check out. And I'm sure you won't mind, Martin, that if anyone wants to come to you directly and ask anything about it, okay, yes. I'm sure you'd be more than open to asking questions. So. Yes, always. Cool. Well, thank you for all of that. Um, I don't think there's anything I didn't know there, I don't think, which is probably no, okay. good there's much much i didn't know anyway so for sound like a total fanboy now <laughs> yeah exactly um <laughs> so today what i wanted to talk to you about because you've had, like, like i said to you before the we started recording um you've done probably most topics most juicy things and i think that when we spoke to the the, the listeners what they want to do is just ask them kind of probably some quite basic questions but um some of them also might be kind of something you can get into so really want to do like a bit of a live q a so um <laughs> And then maybe a little special, special questions at the end. So, I don't, have you listened to any of our episodes yet? I'm going to put you on the spot here. Bear in mind, it's on record. I I actually haven't. No. Oh, you should do. You should do, especially bear in mind you've had a play in this as well. Um, I um I, I I used to try and listen to things just before I came on to kind of you know because I've done podcasts where I don't even know the people and then it's just like okay I'm rocking up so I need to kind of know a bit about them yeah, yeah. But I suppose because I know you guys I didn't do my pre my pre-research yeah and uh, I just don't listen to podcasts anymore at all because of the whole time don't, issue don't but don't um, worry I don't I don't it's not an insult <laughs> yeah I know I am no I won't take it personally <laughs> uh cool well no it's fine just that's probably a good thing anyway because uh, we do like to ask some questions at the end which would be better if they were a bit of a surprise so Oh, goodness, good. I should have done my research. Yeah, you probably should have. Uh, cool, okay, well, um, let's start with the first one. So the first one's quite a simple, easy question, I think, but um, given the right context. <laughs> um, it's just going to be constant, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so what size surplus would you recommend for a well-trained individual? So this this is something I put in one of my groups, and that probably got the most... Uh, um, or likes or hits to, to ask so it's obviously something that people want to know about so I guess I, I added the well-trained individual so I guess without any kind of context it could literally be anything but um, I think for the most people that kind of if you imagine your regular gym guy who's gone been to the gym maybe a few years hopefully knows how to train um, what type of ca- what type of calorie surplus do you think and why yeah so in in this situation it's um I suppose without a doubt, you have to take into 
account, the the measurability is one thing. And the I suppose if you're doing this with yourself versus maybe doing it with a client, you you might make different decisions. So if you're working with a client, there is a massive and, and kind of everything I ever really speak about is with regards to kind of natural muscle gain because um, you know my entire like bodybuilding career it's like you know I competed in natural bodybuilding and the re- all the research I've read and you know I used to when I was younger be a little bit I suppose anti-assisted bodybuilding and even though like my idols were all you know assisted but I didn't I suppose I didn't necessarily know that yeah. when I was young um, and it's not that I, I feel like I was you know wool over my eyes or anything like that but um, I I was completely, you know, I was fairly anti it. And also then it was just a thing of like, I didn't have any need to want to learn about this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. the research stuff, we're trying to read loads and loads of research. It's like, there's just not anything out there. So everything I say is very much the kind of bland, natural bodybuilding scenario of, which I think every time I've spoken probably in the last couple of years comes across as a bit depressing. But um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm there talking about myself and, um, other people who are kind of very relatively well trained like this scenario you're saying here and I'm almost like just don't bother like you I I talked about this study where it's like don't train for six months train for six months and you get the same gains as if you trained for the whole year and it's just this whole like again you might you'd be lucky to gain a pound of muscle a year and it's like oh my goodness but the hopeful thing is the well-trained person in your scenario has actually only got one or two years of training and that's the well-trained and therefore they can actually gain a bit of muscle now the key thing to talk about i suppose with a surplus is is to gain muscle you don't require that much energy at all so if we you know the amount of actual protein you need extra to build muscle is we're talking grams a few grams extra a day sorry um to gain muscle the and i've spoken about this before but muscle gain the amount of protein extra you need to eat is more of a signaling need than a and then an absolute need. It's not a raw materials. It's not having enough bricks. It's it's kind of the verbal cue to you need to build more bricks um, and, and put these bricks together into proteins. Yeah. So yeah. Um, with regards to energy surplus, it's almost the same scenario. So certain things get down regulated in energy deficit and for me the biggest impact of an energy deficit is training um the impact it has on training and you can like you know you know this more than anyone but i'm very much a person of you can maintain muscle in a deficit but to gain muscle in your scenario that you've given brett of a well-trained person you have to be training at your best to progress your training and therefore a, a surplus it, or you know maintenance or a bit above maintenance is so so yeah. important and any you know even any small bits of our understanding about maybe an energy surplus having um you know slightly beneficial daily effects on you know ensuring recovery ensuring you're not overtrained ensuring kind of maintained testosterone levels um you know thyroid everything that's helpful for metabolism and um, enzymatic processes and all of these things you just want them on key for that super super ridiculously slow muscle gain that we're going to get which is the most important factor is training so you're essentially wanting to support optimal training and recovery for muscle gain and therefore the surplus is what's for that so 
going back to my first point and the answer to your question is the surplus you literally you could get maximize probably gain of myofibrillar muscle mass gain as opposed to if you don't train and you just put yourself in a massive surplus you will gain muscle and lean body mass so you will gain connective tissue just kind of to hold adipose tissue as you just become a bigger human being you'll gain muscle you might gain more calf mass because of an overall higher body mass all these little things but you know if you're trying to make your biceps bigger um and you want kind of the bigger myofibrillar proteins you're talking maybe a hundred calories extra maxing that out the problem with that is is it's a depressing small surplus it's not a fun surplus so you're not eating any you guys are all obsessed with burgers right you're not mm. getting loads more extra burgers with 100 extra calories so you go do you know what i don't mind dieting for a bit longer and i'd like a bit more of a surplus so i'm going to go 500 calorie surplus because it's measurable so each week you're looking at you know slightly less than a pound weight gain each week probably um because of some of the adapt adaptations, you know, metabolic adaptation, we always talk about on their way down, but you might get some on the way up. Um, and at least you can measure that. So maybe even 250 calories extra a day becomes a bit more measurable on the scales. Because again, when you're bulking, people's weight fluctuates loads. When you're dieting, sometimes, if especially if you're male and you're very, very consistent, the things are a bit more um, linear. So yeah, that's my kind of answer. Between 100 and 500 calories uh, and with 500 being really fun and motivational and these kind of things, but not necessarily speeding stuff up a lot more mm -hmm. and 100 being depressingly slow, but you don't gain much body fat type scenario. No, I am. Um, I think the actual answer of say 100 calories is probably not necessarily a negative thing for some people. And I'm kind of thinking a lot of the people I've come across where typically previously overweight people, maybe a bit now fat phobic. Yeah. It's probably something that a lot of people are very scared to go into a 500 calorie surplus because they figure they are going to put on body fat and that's the last, it sounds counterintuitive, the last one they want. So yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, okay. Hopefully that answered the question incredibly well. Um, I did get a question off, um, I think it was Brad. Oh no, sure. Wasn't it? it was Ben Shepard. So Ben asked, um, would you just discuss, I don't know, no, let's just ask it. So would you just discuss the scenario when you, and this is a real scenario that you did where you've talked about before because I've heard you talk about it, increased a female's calories and uh, her weight dropped. Um, so yeah, I'm not necessarily talking that she ate more to lose more body fat, but I guess yeah. you know the scenario I'm talking about. I do, yeah. So in this scenario, for some context, it was a um, an athlete I was working with who had essentially been um, told and decided um, that she needed to make weight for a competition. She was in a weight making sport, and um, I was kind of enrolled to help with this. And the goal was extreme, so it's probably one of the most extreme deficits and training protocols that um, I've done with someone. And um, kind of everyone went in with their eyes open. I was very much doom and gloom about this scenario and uh yeah so very very harsh calorie deficit right from the off lower than you know i i don't know anyone who knows me at the minute i've kind of been talking about this about putting myself in a harsh calorie deficit like it was even more harsh than that you know the deficit i'm in the minute is still adequate 
you know, I think I'm maintaining probably most of my muscle mass. But this scenario was, no, it doesn't matter if performance drops, doesn't matter if muscle drops, it doesn't matter what happens, as long as she stays alive, and um, makes weight. And actually making weight was more important than staying alive type scenario, like it was extreme. So anyway, um, training twice a day, crazy calorie deficit. And uh, what happened was it was, you know, it's very short time scale, maybe eight weeks. Um, she, her body weight wasn't, you know, it, it came down a little bit and then pretty much just plateaued. And fortunately, she was in close vicinity to me and I was um, taking skin fold caliper measurements, but it was just kind of logging them and not looking at them too much initially. And um, essentially her body weight wasn't dropping. So, you know, I was checking adherence with all kind of the fancy techniques we talk about kind of on MNU and, and even stuff that I suppose the intuitive stuff, the ability just as a practitioner to to understand people and um you know i'm sure i still get it wrong but i feel like i got a good understanding of it um through kind of experience i suppose mm -hmm. so i was sure she was adhering and um it, you know the scenario essentially happened that her skin folds when i looked at them had come down massively and equated to about four kilos more weight loss than she had lost and um, i think maybe it was three and a half kilos and um it, it was basically D-Day. I think we were six days away. And I said, and I actually had the kind of presence of mind to call her to come into the consultation uh, to the office. And I just kind of put my thumb in her ankle. And um, that could have gone somewhere funny, couldn't it? <laughs> thumb in her ankle. And uh, she had basically sort of pitting edema or a, a bit of edema. And I was like, you know, it, it's as I expected. You're holding water. I don't mean, and she's also gone through her menstrual cycle so it wasn't that it was just like a random monthly fluctuation it was a consistent absence of weight loss and problem the problem was so i basically said to her, look i'm gonna up your calories there's not enough time to lose three and a half kilos um or i think it was even four kilos she needed to lose uh so this is what i'm gonna do and i basically talked about reducing training volume um which i wasn't really in charge of um, at the time and um, that was interesting but I won't go there and then uh, so and, and basically taking stress out of her life and the kind of academic side of this is this massive increase in cortisol and interacting with the aldosterone receptor which is basically one of the aldosterone is one of the hormones um, along with others antidiuretic hormone that affect water levels in your body so the the thinking is which is, you know, fairly decently uh, established physiology is that she'll be holding water because of this for this reason. So reduce stress, and people talk about this whoosh effect, and people also missell this as the the fat the water was inside the fat cells. You've probably seen this diagram, yeah. Brett. But then all the water comes out of the fat cells. That's not physiologically a thing. Um, but it's a it's a nice schematic to kind of show people, and and essentially. Um, yeah, I increased her calories, but kept her carbohydrates very, very low because obviously if she glycogen loaded this, uh, every gram of water, uh, carbohydrate takes three ish grams of water with it. So she could have gained weight through that. So I kept her protein consistent um, and basically bumped her fats right up towards maintenance levels. And um, 
yeah, over a period of, I think it was three days, she dropped all of the weight. Then we had to do a typical weight making protocol with some re reduction of fiber and water for the extra kilo. And um, yeah, it's essentially, now one of the biggest issues is, is there's no research on that final protocol I spoke about there. So I didn't know, should I jump her to maintenance? I didn't know if I could just take her halfway. I didn't know if I had to go into a slight surplus. Mm -hmm. I literally was like, this is scary. But I knew that if I took her to maintenance, she certainly wouldn't gain any weight. And I also didn't know, should I keep dieting her for another three days and then do it? Um, so it was a little bit of a, yeah, this is, that's performance nutrition. Like it was exciting. It was interesting for me. And um, yeah, that's what happened. And um, I suppose the key take home points are, yeah, I, I increased calories all from fat and um, I then removed fiber. We then removed water in the last, I think it was about 16 hours. Um, yeah. Is that, do you think I covered everything? No, I think you did. I think um, just for the listeners in terms of kind of applicability, I guess one of those things where unless you're drastically trying to do something in the same scenario in terms of some sort of significant uh, weight-making sport or something like that, then it's probably not going to have too much uh, context irrelevant to them. Unless, I suppose, you do have to people that do diet for long periods of time and might kind of worry, yeah. wonder why the scales aren't going down. Yeah, that, that's, I think... Yeah, and I, th I think people do see this quite often. Like our general population clients, we we use, you know, one of the reasons we put skin fold caliber testing into MNU was for that reason because sometimes the scales are just screwy. Yeah. Um, the, the most insane scenario I've ever seen was a very, very obese individual. Um, so, again, take this as a relative, like the absolute amount is going to sound insane, but relative to their body weight. But within seven days they dropped um, 20 pounds of, you know, it was probably four pounds of fat and 16 pounds of water wow. through. Um, and I think if you ever talk to any obesity specialists or personal trainers who work with clinically obese individuals, the amount of water retention that individuals can get. So insulin resistance also causes water retention. So, um, like it increases sodium absorption by your kidneys, which causes water retention. And this water isn't necessarily always, always kind of visible to the naked eye and these kind of things. So it's quite extreme value. So if you're like, oh, no, I didn't lose two pounds this week. It's like that could, you know, people are like, yeah, but I'm not holding two pounds of water. Like that would be weird. It's like, no, you can so easily uh -huh. completely not see any weight loss. So I think sometimes people then go and, oh, you know, I went and had a burger last night. I shouldn't have had that. And they wake up lighter and they're like, oh, I should eat burgers all day long. I genuinely had, had a friend say that to me the other day. And I was like, no, that's not how it works. But I'm really happy that you had some flexibility in your life. And, you, and you've realized the weight loss that has happened because of hard work. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. No, I think we've done that one. So um, should be a quick and easy in this one. Fasted cardio, yes or no? Or do you need more context? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Well, I suppose if the, if the question was, is fasted cardio superior to fed? No, not in any context at all. Well, I could probably give you one, but I'm not going to. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's just a silly idea that you're going to lose more weight. Now I, I will give more on that. It's just a case of if someone is fasted cardio is a nice way. So <laughs> this is going to turn into a long answer annoyingly. Um, it, for performance reasons, we know that if you train in a fasted state, it might have different, you know, effects. But 
I don't think that listeners of this podcast are necessarily wanting to go to the Olympics and run in the marathon. But there is a scenario where that might be helpful for them. It's the kind of, if people are interested, they can go read about the train low, compete high concept. That's not altitude, it's carbohydrate availability. In, in the kind of weight loss world, health world, there's loads of ways you can do this, like just skipping a few meals, doing a one day fast or doing some fasted cardio. Essentially, cardio in the fasted state almost speeds up or increases the magnitude of the fast. It kind of, you can do a shorter fast and it makes it, the body react as though the fast was longer by doing it in a fasted state. Now, some people who think fasting is super magical will go, yeah, that's the reason why, but it's not super magical. But I always talk about this transient beneficial effect that if someone has been eating from dawn until dusk all the time, you know, they haven't improved their diet, and all they do is they start putting in some cardio beforehand, it might actually give them some more metabolic flexibility, which might help with lots of different things that we don't fully understand yet. It might help a bit with hunger regulation. Um, so again, people say, well, fasted cardio means that I'm not thinking about food at the beginning of the day and there's a smaller time to eat. And it's like, yeah, we know that maybe time-restricted feeding is good. But you know, someone like you or I um, haven't got loads of body fat, we're not fight, you know, 6% body fat on a DEXA. Fasted cardio is literally only good is if you like exercising before breakfast. There's absolutely no physiological reason that it would be more beneficial. Cool. Done. 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 It's probably the shortest question you've ever asked, or the shortest answer you've ever given to a question, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, actually, I wanted to, I'm just going to dial it back a bit because um, you mentioned it in the last question, actually, and I wanted to, I've, I've skipped it, but um, I think you've obviously created a lot of hype or a lot of people are talking about the eat as little as you can diet, and I know you kind of mentioned it, so maybe actually quickly go into that if you can. Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose it's a bit of a funny one. I it, It's not been, it wasn't for publicity as it were, or I wasn't doing it to make a point, so the last, I suppose, couple of years, I've been talking about it publicly as a, uh, I suppose, trying to myth bust for evidence-based individuals. So becoming a kind of a bit of a sort of um, at the head of the ship for a lot of evidence-based nutritionists and personal trainers. When I try and go and educate there, it's like, well, what, what can I tell them that is actually going to be interesting because you can no longer blow people's minds with like paleo's not evidence based and everyone's like yeah we know so kind of in thinking of that it was like well what what do i think what do i see people getting wrong what do i think they they maybe misbelieve and one of the key things was when you you know you guys have probably heard me say this like two evidence based terminology and it's that you care too much you want to do right by, by people too much and you almost regress away from anything that is uh, either extreme or you see people doing bad stuff so the whole you know just meal replacement diets which are not that meal replacements are bad but that they are maybe particularly selling a product or they're not and there's no coaching around it or people just putting people on ridiculously low calories for no reason or you know massively overtraining with low calories etc and um so i started on that trend of telling people that and then um yeah, recently, actually in, well, depending on when this podcast goes out, but in four or five days from now, uh, I am taking all of my staff on a retreat to um, Cape Verde, 
and essentially it's um we're going to be marking all of the mnu exams in cape verde that's the kind of point of it um so yeah people are like you're a cool boss and i'm like yes yes i am um so yes yeah we've got Amazing. 10 days all inclusive um it'll be all over social media people will see it of course but um it's just one of these things it's kind of i suppose a yearly bonus because everyone's worked so ridiculously hard like everyone sort of goes martin how do you fit so much in um but it's like my staff have you know worked really hard as well so it's kind of like it's a reward for them as well as we've got some big things i suppose i won't give anything away but it's kind of in some of the spare time the downtime we're going to kind of plan some of the big things that we've had massively on the back burner for you know at least two years if not more because we, we closed the kind of consultancy side of mat nutrition but anyway i'm going off on one basically i'm gonna have my top off right so i was like it I, I, it was like a kind of last minute decision and i was like geez i've got 30 odd days um well, 40 i suppose days to, to the end date but i knew there was going to be days in between where i just wasn't going to be dieting so i was like okay 35 days and i need to drop a lot of weight I will do what I kind of tell everyone I've been preaching about so I just I put it online for actually accountability I just woke up one morning I was like I'm gonna do a diet and then flipping that backfired I had to stick to it and so um the premise is that I think people overplay the fact that you still get evidence-based educators out there I heard like a couple of them on a podcast recently and these are people who people look up to supposed to be evidence-based all about science going you know, we, the particular phrase, almost ad lib, um, uh, verbatim, saying, yeah, we get people coming into the clinic and they might be on 1,500 calories, 1,000 calories. And they, you know, as soon as the body adapts to that, they've just got nowhere to go. And I think, like, Brett, you you made the joke on, on uh, Instagram, but about me sort of saying, you know, when you adapt, you know, if you're a 85 kilo individual, when you adapt to 1,000 calories a day, and I sort of made the joke, you don't need to go anywhere because you're in Shredsville. Um, and it's this idea that, oh, if you lower with your calories, you'll go, everything will go down there as well. And if your maintenance is 4,000 and you eat 1,000 calories, mm. you know, you're going to adapt quicker. Well, one thing is you will adapt quicker, but you lose weight, you know, twice as quick than as if you had dropped down to 2,500 or whatever. So um, the the other thing of and I'm not saying anyone should drop to a thousand necessarily, but just as an example, of course, but the, the concept of kind of a protein sparing modified fast and just maintain protein at like the two to 2.5 grams per kilogram level, you know, trying to maintain um, intensity in the gym. So volume tends to need to drop a bit. And um, the people who really struggle with anything like this are the ones who are really active, really training, really hard and all these kind of things. And of course, that makes the deficit that much harder, but um, almost exponentially harder because they just don't recover. Whereas I have give or take maintain most of my strength, um, you know, during and I've dropped maybe say 15 pounds now. And um, it's a case of you know, hopefully most of, you know, retain most of my muscle mass, Pro you know, probably I've teetered into the um, area of losing muscle mass. And, and that's the other side of this It's probably worth mentioning is that muscle loss is hugely overplayed. So um, 
people I recorded another podcast this week and essentially we were discussing this whole thing of like bodybuilders like going into a bulk in their off season like they get down to stage weight and they go you know and then they they bulk for their off season put on 40 pounds and they're like oh I've put on so much muscle in this off season I'm going to bring something crazy new to the stage and they come back a year later you know depending on whether they're natural or assisted two to five pounds whatever heavier and it's and they're like man diet wasn't good lost so much muscle and it's like no you really didn't you just lost body fat and you weren't as jacked as you thought you were so um and and you know even in the studies there's there's issues that surround like dexa scanning and and the measure of lean body mass and these kind of things so yeah my diet has literally just been maximize satiation as much as possible eat as you know just this kind of joke thing of eat as little calories as you can it's um that is genuinely has been my mindset i've people always say oh surely protein and i'm like okay yeah i I get my protein at whatever it ends up as 750 odd calories and then it's as little above that as i can go without going out of my mind type thing Mm. um that's it yeah yeah that's really cool so one thing that came up in a, a thread the other day which i don't know caught my eye and was a bit of a joke about it was your sleeping patterns yeah <laughs> do, you, do you find not being on those low, low calories affects kind of your output or anything like that given you you don't sleep either yeah was quite funny actually it's it's, it's interesting you brought this up because i don't know why i was pondering this in the probably in the last five days but i when i'm on lower calories i need less sleep um and it's probably part of you know that kind of dreaded talking about hormones and like you joked matt about cortisol being up late and those kind of things but um you know cortisol when you're in the depths of a bodybuilding diet when you are you know essentially on a long-term starvation diet you do get elevated cortisol and that does impact sleep like when i was competing in bodybuilding i would go to bed at maybe midnight let's say and i would wake up 4 a.m sprightly feeling like oh yeah like i'm wide awake not kind of i'll wake up i'll press the snooze button like i just woke up i'm wide awake and i was good to go but at the same time i was like looking at my watch like hmm when can I have my oats and whey? And it was that immediate searching for food. And so I suppose I'm not that lean, you know, I'm, I'm decently lean, but I'm not like really, really lean where it's the point of I've got, you know, what's called hyperphagia, like obsession with food and needing to eat. But I'm definitely, it's definitely made me waking up feeling fresher. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a funny one it's obviously for some people there's also the flip side of you get a bad night's sleep and um it, it impacts your hunger and you're hungrier for that day so i suppose there is a a genetic component and also a, i i think a habitual component of i i do think i've probably a genetically for whatever reason need less sleep than most people and b have trained that not purposefully i've tried to be a more normal human being um but because of work and the fact that once i'm doing a task i can just and also because my mind just never stops so i pretty much every night will work until i fall asleep at my desk and then go to bed so it's because if i go to bed if i go oh early night tonight i put it on instagram if 
I go to bed and I'm not exhausted, I will literally just come up with 10 new ideas that I need to then go in action or, or you know, it's so it's, um, it's a funny one. I, you know, I, there's a few idiots in the industry. I know you don't really name people on this podcast, so I won't, but there's a few idiots in the industry who are like, um, you know, one of his famous things was genetics aren't a thing. They don't matter. You can be whatever you want to be. And it was like, hmm. And genuinely said, um, Mo Farah could be Mr. Olympia um, <laughs> if, if he just put his mind to it because he was like trying to be a mind coach or whatever. But um, he, uh, he, he was like, yeah, people don't need sleep. You can, I exist on four hours. And it's almost like a boasting thing. And it was like, no, sleep's really important for most people. Like, on average, the body of evidence says that sleep is really freaking good for immunity, for recovery from training, for managing hunger, all of these kind of things. But, uh, the, and the, the thread that you mentioned there, Matt, I just kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, facetious, facetiously? Yeah. But just kind of, you know, jovially, but just sort of went, not everyone. Um, because it was a very much, uh, uh, you know, again, challenging evidence-based individuals. Just remember that if one of your clients is getting six hours sleep a night and you think by getting them to have an extra one or two, it's going to change the game for them, be sure that they do have an issue with hunger or recovery or X, Y, Z. And maybe focus on lower hanging fruit, as it were, because if someone told me to sleep more, it would make virtually no different um, difference. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool to hear. I am um, it kind of goes on to bias and stuff like that as well like you tend to have a bias to do what you do right so some of the people commenting there were almost like well Martin have you have you tried to improve your sleep have you done this have you done this like almost trying to fix you um, yeah, yeah and we're all very much evidence-based the people commenting there weren't kind of newbies to the industry they were very no. well read and researched people so yeah, yeah. I mean. cool I think um the next question was really around uh, the whole fat loss plateau um, while being at already low calorie intake. And I kind of, you kind of obviously mentioned or talked about it in the last question, but um, so I don't really know if we need to cover it or if we've got anything more to add on it, really. Um, I think just the one thing on that one is always to mention that, and, and you, you guys will know this, that it's sort of embarrassing when you get people who, it's just that difficult thing of, oh, hi guys, I've got this client, he's eating 1200 calories, he's definitely sticking to it. And as soon as they write that, you go, yeah, and and it's like, okay, I'm going to go with you that he definitely isn't. So I will talk to you about that. But I, and I, and it's almost say the mentoring lab, right? It will be, you know, Matt comes in, yeah, it could be an adherence issue. Brett comes in. Yeah, you should also. Then Tony comes in like that. And then right at the end, I'll go. And, and this person gets offended, don't they? Like even, you know, it's like we're all friends. It's like the nicest space. But they're like, no, no, they are adhering. They are. I believe them. Like, so it's always that whole thing of, and I sort of say this, if you're the coach, you can never be 100% sure. You can be really really sure but I mean I don't know if you guys have heard me say about the stories of well there was this one of the kind of like really really successful prep coach in the industry 
um, does loads of female prep coaching and he had this client and he was like, yeah, she went, she had to pay 2000 pounds for this special testing. And I said, you know, I, I think it's an adherence issue. I've listened to everything you've said and I think it's an adherence issue. Everything fits into place. And he said, no, she would have owned up once she had to pay this two grand. And I said, no, genuinely, I had a woman pay me five figures and I ne she never admitted to lying and she would just lie to me, lie to me. And, and she's like one of my biggest failures. And then it was years and years, years later that I then found out she'd been lying to me through one of her friends. And um, I was, it, it just, that was kind of a game changer me. People will spend money mm. and pay money and lie to you. The other thing is when you've been on a diet for a long time, you do start to personally mistrack, misreport. Um, it's just all sorts of little things. It might even be that you were eating more calories than or less calories than you thought you were to begin with and then i said about like chasing the last grain of rice around the plate and it's like actually you think you've dropped all these calories but now you're eating all the rice on the plate whereas you used to you used to leave a little bit and mm. there's lots of little errors that can come in so plateaus uh, you know be sure that you or the client isn't misreporting and find ways around that and secondly um, then you could consider the stuff around refeeds, diet breaks, build back in some habits by um, building metabolic capacity. You know, it sounds it's quite a bro term that people use, but all that could mean is simply give yourself some more calories back to maintenance, even back to predicted maintenance, which might be above your new metabolically adapted state. But that extra stuff, you know. If it's from carbohydrates and you're probably a bit depleted, it won't go to body fat. And then you'll build in some more neats. You know, your total daily energy expenditure will go up and then ram yourself back in the biggest deficit that you can sustain. Done. Yeah, I guess um, what we're saying is really that if you've plateaued, then you just be sure that obviously you have actually plateaued, I guess is the take-home point. I just want to make sure obviously... That's kind of because I guess a lot of people will assume, and I think this probably comes from people, in my opinion, drastically overestimating maybe the the calorie or energy requirements that some people have. So I guess you you know the government shouts out oh two and a half thousand calories for a male and two thousand for a woman. Well, actually, if you're very sedentary in terms of your your job and lifestyle, it's probably a lot on the high side. Like if you're a small female, there will be small females that will maintain their weight on a thousand calories if they're not active, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that is a thing of like a, a small, really small sedentary female and this, you know, these kind of things, even if her main, if I, her maintenance, you know, 1300 calories, let's say, and then she's on a thousand calorie diet, but misreports even by like most people miss well, kind of the average you see is like 600 calories misreporting. But let's say in a, in a magical world, she you know, 150 calories overeats by mistake through little little errors here and there. She's in a 150 calorie deficit, which you'll never see on the scales, you know, unless you are 100% in a 150 calorie deficit for weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, you could be in that deficit for 20 weeks and you still would, you'd be at 3,000 calorie deficit. You've not even lost a pound yet. Mm. Um, and people break diets because they, it gets such slow results. So, um, yeah, that is one instance. And then they have a menstrual, you know, related water retention. And then there's a bit of calorie deficit related water retention and it just screws everything up. So it is worth bearing that in mind. And it's funny that you actually said that because 
when we were get sort of talking to um, the the brokers and the underwriters of the insurance policy for MNU for the MNU certified nutritionist, we've got this bespoke policy now which now says like literally the wording is MNU certified nutritionist. That is, you're not just insured as a nutrition consultant. You're a, and there's all the wording of what you can do. And it's funny because they we said, who are your advisors? Because like we're kind of advisors ourselves. Like we are, you know, I, I I've um act on acted on advisory boards and, and governing bodies, etc. I said because they said there's there's some wording around very low calorie diets and insurance. So we need to get all that worked into it. They said, what did they say? Uh, the the recommendation for a female is 2000 calories. And, and I was like, sorry, okay, I know that, but um, do you know what that's based on and who that's for? And they were like, yeah, because if you put them in a big deficit, then there's some issues there around medical malpractice. And I said, okay, but, and then I did the maths for them, all the cal- the weight of the female, the activity, this, that, and the other. And so it was really interesting that even in that world, it was like, um, if, you know, if someone's maintenance was 1300 and you put them on an 800 calorie diet, which is the 500 government recommended calorie deficit, it was like, yeah, you know, that could be deemed as a very, very low calorie diet and that's therapy and, and that's under a doctor's thing and all this kind of stuff. So it was, it was fascinating that even on that level, it was like complete misunderstanding. Like you don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Do you think, uh, do you think the the record or the advice? Sorry, I'll say the recommendation. The advice of eat more, move less is a good or a bad thing. <laughs> Was this an actual question that this got is, sent in? This is an actual question. Yes. Um, I think the advice eat more, eat more, move less is absolutely ridiculous. Um, if if someone said eat more, move more, or eat more. You could almost you could almost explain it away, but it's like very convoluted and not it's not someone Jim Pop's going to understand why you could explain it away. No, I think yeah. I think it's most not... people in the fitness industry would know what it means. I think. Yeah, yeah, most of them would, and it's absolutely ridiculous because this is what I said when people obviously challenged me on it. It was like, oh, well, it's obvious he's saying that you need to eat more vegetables and you don't need to do loads of cardio to lose weight and do hits. And it's like, oh, is it? That's obvious. I've had someone say to me, I have had a billionaire, a billionaire, one of the richest men in the world say to me on his satellite phone from his jet, I said, okay, we need to focus on carbohydrate foods. And I I said, do you know what they are? And his words were, Martin, I don't care to know if I had to guess, if I had to guess, he is insanely intelligent. And he, if he had to guess, he'd guess that they were probably things like potatoes. I was like, yes, those are the ones. He said, I don't want you to talk to me about those. Just tell me what to eat. I was like, wow. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, that's, you can't go, it's obvious that this is what he's saying. No, because there are people out there who genuinely have relationship issues with food. The people who need to lose weight. So again, people are like, oh, we help so many people. It's like the same people who would be helped by any diet that had ever been released. And it's like, 
yeah, you know, the people who can help themselves like, oh, yeah, but he led me to fitness and caring about my health. Anyone could do that. Davina McCall could do that. The Atkins diet book could do that. Anything can do that. But the people who genuinely get screwed every single frigging year because of crap advice like that, that is just there to make money and nothing else and not help people is they don't know when you say they, they, they go, oh, that is right because I've slowed my metabolism by eating too little and by exercising too much. And and then they do literally that. I'm gonna to go to the gym less and I'm gonna eat more. I'm not gonna restrict my calories because restricting calories is bad. And it's yeah. like, oh, you just need education and you need some support. I think what's um, just kind of a ta- slight tangent there is that I think sometimes, and I see it with obviously I have friends with a lot of coaches on Facebook. So you see the posts we put out um and you know me i do like to get involved every now and then um but then I, i'm a member of a lot of groups on facebook so certain slimming world kind of stuff like that or whatever dietary methods like these groups have got 40 to fifty thousand people in so yeah. i'm purely in there just to keep myself understanding what people are actually not understanding and then you can kind of address those problems and to your point no they don't know like everything we know, I think people just assume they know what a protein, fat, and a carb is. Like pizzas are still considered carbohydrates by thirty thousand people in this group. Like, so I think sometimes coaches get too caught up in arguing with other other coaches, or you know, I think even I think uh, Ed even put a status out this morning about something about I can't remember what it was about, but it's something that no one would care about if they gym pop, which is majority of our clients, right? So. Yeah, it is interesting. But if, if anyone is a coach and they are listening and you, you doubt what mine's saying, go into some of these groups. Like, look at the groups I'm in and just look at some of the comments on a daily basis and try not to comment. It's very hard. Mm. You, you're very negative if you do. But, yeah. yeah, and you get booted out pretty quickly. But Especially in Slimmer World. Yeah. Mm. You might have to beat that one out. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they're good from a coach's point of view because you learn a lot of what our target market are asking. So, yeah, slight tangent. Yeah, it is. In, it, that is really interesting. I think <clears throat> if you hang around, you listen to too many podcasts, you, you talk to too many fitness industry people, all the friends on your Facebook are fitness industry. So it's that whole thing, isn't it? If scroll through your wife's or partner's Facebook and it's different to yours. That It's that concept of keep your ear to the ground and talk to that's I feel like that's me working with um, young athletes doing parents talks and it's it's kind of helped me and realize again not being in the fitness industry like most of our clientele were general population like normal people and again when people are like oh you're so negative Martin it's like genuinely the reason I call people out and I think most people who hated me uh, uh, you know, like Brett said that about like oh, I didn't really like you to begin with it's like people like- sort of think it's just a, it's a nasty streak, but it genuinely comes from a place of I burnt myself working out with clients from the perspective of the like people are so screwed. Like because we have quite I suppose upper end tier pricing, people don't come to us as a first line of defense. So it's like they've done every crap thing in the book, and then it's like I'm not going to go on holiday for a year or two and spend it on my health, but they're like they're they're fully depressed they're you know they're absolutely 
they hate themselves they hate their body all of these things so you sit there someone made a joke about the picture of our consultation online and they're like tissues and someone making some crude joke but i was like yeah because these flipping people would sometimes i think the record was like two and a half minutes before someone was in tears um and it's like you work with people like that you know you're not an online coach it's like we're legitimately consultation room with these people and it's it's quite a i suppose safe environment where people are like that they open up and you get these people giving out this crap message and you go yeah that really annoys me because you're the reason that my clients are so or all these people i work with i've been burnt myself out emotionally working with because you're screwing them up so um yeah it's, it's a funny thing to when you start it's a really clever idea matt just going and sitting in these groups and again keeping your mouth shut but just listening and going oh my goodness, maybe my post shouldn't be about de novo lipogenesis and they should actually be about the, you know. Mashed bananas. Yeah, mashed bananas. I've literally got screenshots that I intend to write a load of posts about, but it's going to be like common stuff that, like I don't care what I'm fit pro say or do about my posts. They can interact if they want, they can boost it, but that's my clientele. And I guess to your point around pricing, I guess that's why, no, I think it even came up the lab once about group coaching um that's why we do group coaching because it is more accessible and from my point of view it's i can coach a lot more people for the same amount of time um but the price point and stuff like that is easy to get into but the message you were talking about a minute ago is how we built our old business off the back of that person um we coach one person who gained a hell of a lot of weight on his plans and that person wouldn't <clears> shut up about the free advice we'd given and stuff like that. And literally from that, that we created a group, which is what, 15, 600 people now. So yeah, so almost thanks to him. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's nuts. We've got a question from Leah Fowler about, uh, she uses soy protein powder, but has heard that they have a negative effect on hormones. So should she use them? Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, this one is an interesting one. So I suppose I I was guilty of when I, I first got into the industry, like late teens, and that the whole kind of bodybuilding world was like soy will it raise your estrogen levels and um, turn you into a woman and um, don't use it. You need to use dairy type thing. So, you know, I was very much for a long time like, oh, you probably don't need to use soy or lower your testosterone, etc. And um, we pretty much know that that's absolutely incorrect now so that's um potentially new information for a lot of people again when i say it, i'm like everyone knows that but um but uh and and kind of i suppose in a way i've got a bias towards dairy if it's possible to consume it so if it's soy because of um being vegan then you know dairy's off the table if it's uh soy because of maybe lactose intolerance or you know those kind of issues then moving towards like a whey isolate or even a hydrolysate if you can um, stomach the taste then um that's kind of where my uh, bias is towards but certainly the reason that stuff is said about soy is because of the um essentially bioactive compounds within um soy that the kind of act like estrogen so the i said i said this but the the most bro that i would ever go with this and this is kind of 
where Western medicine is an issue is if someone goes for kind of fertility testing and, and you know, issues with conception, etc., there's a there's a case for, OK, we've tested everything. We can't do anything. Here's a drug or, you know, need to go down this route, X, Y, Z. And for me, it's like I would never discount that and I wouldn't be like anti, you know, trying to solve it with modern medical practice but at the same time if someone at the same time was consuming boatloads of soy i i do have in kind of my you know decade plus of reading have got this kind of underlying feeling that there might be a certain maybe it's a genetic thing maybe it's a and a total amount of soy maybe it's i talk about people tend to be on a scale and um you know, someone can, you know, if they're down here on the scale, they can smoke, do everything wrong, et cetera, et cetera, and never get lung cancer. Whereas someone just passive smokes, but because they were here on the genetic scale, it pushes them into kind of the phenotypic thing of having lung cancer. So I don't know whether if someone is high up on the scale here, having boatloads of soy might um, be an issue for fertility. So it's, I don't want that to ever be like an encouraging thing of, of, a first place to go with there's loads of things you should do before doing um to even considering that as like this is going to make a big impact but it is if you saw someone's food diary a bit like the area of gut health where western medicine practice kind of falls down a lot uh, and it, at least going back two or three years fell down massively it was ibf ah oh, that's a death sentence you're screwed type scenario so which is why the quacks were able to come in and provide their magic answers and unfortunately you know it suckers people in because they've got no, no other opportunity so for me I suppose that's just saying that you know in the I probably wouldn't say that on a podcast where people aren't getting like heavily evidence-based stuff week in week out because hopefully they'll realize that that is like I've said it you know as bro as I'll ever probably get sure. other than not letting my um, children drink squash yeah or uh, don't you feed them organic as well is that right uh, when they were yeah when they were like little yeah organic as well yeah yeah very bro bro science bro through and through all grass-fed as well yeah like grass-fed salmon um <laughs> i i had a question that i really want an answer to but i've not been able to get anywhere actually so you're probably the man to go so how many um calories in a handful of nuts <laughs> Um, am, I, am I even allowed to talk about this? I can't name anyone. Wow. Yeah, the, if if people listen to this and are like, because I don't want it to be an in joke, but I just can't tell you who it was. But like, surely you can work it out. But I was at a conference once, and there was a educator who gets asked to speak, maybe even gets paid to speak. Who knows? And basically said to the audience, "How many how many calories in a handful of nuts?" And um, all these people shouting stuff out. Uh, how many calories in the average handful of nuts was it was something like that and it was talking about weight loss and why people couldn't lose weight and and it was just trying to i suppose it was trying to be practical right and uh blah 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 blah, blah. and then the the educator goes yeah 500 um 500 calories so you think you're having a couple of handful of those then you know that's going to stop your weight loss if you and and i was like what how how big are your hands? Like, they're not, I could see them. They're not Andre the Giant hands. And I was like, this, you know, you're a flipping nutrition educator and 
absolutely so that if anyone is like oh i don't get this whole joke about this handful that's where it comes from it's it's crazy 500 calories in a handful of nuts I want to and then I did, it went off. I did a picture of my hand holding nuts. I was like, first person to get this gets like, I think I gave someone a big discount off MNU or something. I was like, yeah, you did. Yeah, that was it, wasn't it? Whoever guesses the most, it was the most commented post I've ever done on Facebook. I just took a picture in my hand. How many, how many calories in a handful of nuts? Well, they, were they almonds? I think they were cashews. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because that brings in a whole nother level. Whole another level of yeah. adjustment for the fiber. Yeah. yeah. Who was Christ. talking about almonds recently? That was on a podcast, wasn't it? Someone was. I don't know. It might have been you boys when I wasn't there. I don't know. Random. Thanks. Anyway. Mm. Um, cool. I'm glad you answered that because I never knew. Although I still don't actually know how many calories are in it. So I'm just going to assume 500. So. Um, there was 167 or ish that was in my handful. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. A full handful. I've got quite big hands. And that was quite a hefty discount as well, wasn't it? Gutted about that. I was well <laughs> Yeah, so I hope whoever it was claimed it. This scan, that is. Uh, yeah, I think they did. I can't remember. It's like this is like 18 months ago now. Yeah. Well, the first first intake. Yeah, first intake. Best, yeah, in, uh, best intake, right? Um, another question from Jack Jackson. Um, basically want to know um are there any benefits to carb cycling and basically should he do it yeah um interesting i got i don't know if this is like a a thing i feel like carb cycling has died a bit of a death which is kind of cool um but i got a message about this just maybe three days ago on instagram like multiple kind of messages explaining that this that and the other what you've been told to do what you tried etc and carb cycling is just a mostly in, in at least in the way I see it mostly sold a made up thing and um, you know again we could talk about a certain nutrition um, certification textbook saying like yeah generally don't count calories you need to lose weight but if you want to go for advanced fat loss one technique you, you can use is carb cycling and it's like what as though this is going to you know someone's struggling to lose weight but then doing a um, carb cycling is going to help them lose weight so essentially the the thing that you'll hear most often it's just calorie cycling so if you want to do put lower calories on some days like the five two diet you could call carb cycling because on two days you don't really get to eat any carbs um or very little carbs so yeah if it calorie cycles it helps but keeping calories the same i've seen people just replacing fat for carbs i don't know about you guys if you've seen that but it's just like yeah this is a low carb day and you you know magically because you're lower carb then it helps you lose weight or something yeah like that it's it's irrelevant but if you're eating two two thousand calories let's say stop losing weight and then on three days of the week you go low carb and don't replace the calories yes it will help with weight loss but in general um you know there's the other thing of like is carb cycling are we getting on to kind of a little bit of nutrient timing where you know kind of the whole carb backloading carb front loading um, and, and my thing I joke about like carb well not joke about carbohydrate bunching I've called it but essentially putting carbs all into one area of the day and um, yeah in that instance it's um, it might have a very small difference on body composition but again we're, we're talking real real marginal effects on you know the end outcome maybe someone's maybe got one kilo less 
body fat because they did that but the overall weight loss was 11 versus 12 or something you know so yeah yeah do, do you um think there's any anything in kind of the the whole backloading approach of uh carbohydrates being stored better um kind of post-exercise do you kind of don't want to get into like scientific te- jargon too much but like glute four um glute four receptor regulation yeah, yeah. yeah exactly so translocation to the edge of the cell yeah um probably to a very very small extent so the the physiology is legit i.e we've we can see it it's been studied really nicely within the sports science research which tends to be done kind of pretty well better than a lot of the kind of i suppose public health research um it's just unfortunate with smaller numbers but it's kind of consistent human physiology that after exercise you do get a greater amount of kind kind of um non-insulin dependent glucose disposal so we we know that the carbohydrates in the kind of window of opportunity or whatever you want to call it forget about muscle gain but in the period after exercise if you put carbohydrates there you restore glycogen quicker because of this translocation of these basically um just call them channels and it just makes it loads easier for for glucose to go into the muscle and the muscle becomes sensitized to sucking that carbohydrate out of the blood let's say so we know that that's a thing um but that's very very different to body composition so in the sports nutrition research that's to do with speed of replenishing muscle glycogen and even within sport there's very 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 few situations where that's actually even necessary so with regards to body composition um it's uh it's a hard sell to think that it would or it you know in my opinion and my opinion i sort of say this these days for 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 funsies but like my opinion is fact um in my opinion it makes next to zero difference and it's just like i said about that kind of bunching stuff it maybe makes an absolutely tiny little difference that no n equals one will ever show so i hate it when people go well it works for me or you know i've seen it work for me yeah you like taking oh yeah i took some zinc and honestly man the difference like i was so much more jacked and like the speaker at um uh, one of the expos one year um he was like yeah man green tea extract epigallocatechin gallate like man i just take took that and i was just so shredded and it was like this doesn't happen it's like you could take thyroxine you know like pharmaceutical drugs and it wouldn't just make you shredded um you could take the you know the most illegal fat burners in the world and it, it within a, a week or two or three or four they're not going to make you shredded so you know to to say that oh I, I whenever i put carbs after training you know i kept everything else the same but i just moved my carbs to post training people say this they're like yeah and i just honestly the difference it was so dramatic it's like no like that's not a thing no one's ever done that and it's never made a that kind of impact i don't know why people say it whether they're just trying to 
make themselves feel better or psychologically they believed it. It's what they saw in the mirror or whatever, just because of the placebo. But yeah, it's, it's not. In a study, we might show just like sleep. Sleep, if someone has, you, if you go one group of people, eight hours, one group of people, four hours, do a diet. At the end of that diet, we can statistically measure that the group that had more sleep lost slightly less muscle and lost slightly more fat mass. But on an alien cause one scale, you you probably won't see, you won't notice that. Um, you just have to go. This this is the right thing probably. So this is what we do with our clients. We encourage them to not get four hours and get eight hours. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, I am. Um, I actually believed it at some point a few years ago. I believe. I, I, I believe it all, mate. Everything. Yeah, you I, I, I believed it. I even wrote about it, and it came up on a time hop of my or like one of these Facebook on these day things. I was like, "Well, oh, shit, delete That's that. Deadly, delete, that. It? Yeah, delete that. It's good because actually, it helps uh, helps get rid of a lot of stuff you don't want on your profile any longer." <laughs> yeah. Um. Cool. Right. I think. Um. I think that's all of the serious questions out of the way. I think I don't think we've got any more. Um. Wow. I did have one down about BCAs, but I think we've laughed about that before, so we probably don't need to do that again. Um, Been done. Done to death. Yeah. 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 Sure. Um. Cool. Right. So let's get on to the the famous funny questions that we are. So, um, what's your favourite flexible food? Yeah. So, I just it's the first thing that crops into my head. So it's like I like I try to be a bit more, um, a bit more um, adventurous, but it's got to be pick and mix. Um, just yeah, it's kind of to the point, I suppose, where my my employees and people will buy me birthday presents of pick and mix. Like I don't buy it that often, um, but you know, if if someone wants to buy me a, a thing, and let's say on my birthday, um, which is on Monday, I um I will I will get a massive tub of pick and mix, um, pro- probably. Uh, <laughs> now I'll be gutted if I don't. <laughs> Any specific? Um, good question. I like the um, the the snake one with the foam and the, because because when I was little, I used to go to the local um, village shop whatever, and it was it was like one piece sweets, but the two piece sweets were the crocodiles with the jelly with the foam, um, and they were just epic. And the, and also the little turtles. Do you remember those with the foam and? The, do you remember those? Yeah. So they're they're a big favorite, I think. Um, cool no good answer um, best burger joint you've ever visited oh man I should have done some research I knew there'd be a burger question obviously <laughs> obviously I this is bad right I do I, I pick a burger in most places I go but I'm just not a connoisseur um it's terrible, isn't it? So I'm, I'm going to have to... So Gourmet Burger Kitchen was like... It's just the one I remember because it was like a nice... Um, I was in Milton Keynes doing a talk with someone and it was just the night... It was a nice outing. The the kind of overall... I took... Uh, yeah. the, the atmosphere. It's nice. Yeah, well, no, it's because I took my, my, my daughter and she was like... I think it was probably the first time she'd been in like... I just remember I had like a glass bottle of coke and she was mucking about and I took some pictures but I can't even remember the burger but it was like I just remember it was quite a nice meal that was it 
Um, See, Brizzle always gets so disappointed with people's answers. I know, no, I know. No one loves burgers as much as you, mate. So. I know. Well, you can always say what the best burger is, I'm sure. Hey, me? Yeah. I never know how to pronounce it, but they have opened one outside my building, literally outside my building, which is terrible. Why don't you give the, why don't you pronounce, give the pronunciation a go, mate? Bleaker. Bleaker Street, yes. Bleaker Street. Well yeah. done. Well done. No, he's, he's definitely the best. There's, there's, a good, there's a good few around you in London anyway. They, um, they are... Like the calories in those must be insane. Like you squeeze it in the fat and blood comes out. So yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um. Actually, we've got a bit of a confession. When we were at the um fat loss conference, we did try to book a the meat burger in Loughborough. Um. Found out it's shut. Well, it's shut down. It's closed. Yeah. So that was a bit of a faux pas on my point because uh we were we were planning on going there that evening. We had to pull up a last minute um. Replacement was it Fenways? I think was it Fenways, Matt? Yeah, yeah. Fenways. It's right. it okay. It's pretty good. Yeah. What is that in Loughborough? Yeah. I need to go there then. I guess I don't yeah. even know where that is. That's terrible, isn't it? Um, I just uh... you must know where it is. It was like next door to Revs. Literally. It's next door to Revs. Yeah. <laughs> is it like an American diner? Yes. I've been there. Oh, there you I go. I think I might have had a burger. Yeah. There you go. That was all right. I yeah. Think it was quite nice. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear right okay um what's 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 the best piece of advice you've ever been given oh heck. um best piece of advice i've ever been given how long do people normally think on these it, it trips people up normally um seconds literally no seconds. that's that's a stitch up no it's not uh, literally seconds no most people have something they might not be their first answer but most people will have something in their mind think, oh that's an okay answer yeah okay but that's what i mean i don't like okay answers this is my issue it's like and also when you've got a memory like mine like a that just like because so much in here um I, so I, I would say you're famous for your memory yeah i know but that's the thing i've got so many memories i'm like having to siphon through thousands of things and okay. um, no so I suppose I'm just going to have to go with one that's quite career and nutrition specific, which was basically I did have a, a point where I was like, I like the gym. I like training. I like physiology, you know, and, and I didn't think really nutrition was a career, um, weirdly enough. And um, so I was like, I'm, I might do an MSc in physiology and that might translate to being an S&C coach, which I think is, an, is a proper career. And uh, I basically someone said to me quite a successful snc coach and these kind of things he just said to me martin and he'd he'd work at the top level in elite sport and these kind of things which is where i suppose i was the world i was in at the time and he said nutritionists sports nutritionists that we've always worked with all nutritionists dietitians he was like they're all rubbish he goes just imagine if you do it quite well you walk the walk you train you've got in shape before get the qualification he was like and you could you could be a world leader or a world beater and i was like i like the sound of being the best um i'll do that so you know that, that was a kind of i suppose quite a key that was a good piece of advice i think i got so yeah yeah well i guess we wouldn't be here today right yeah so that person did well <laughs> yeah, so yeah so benefited me in brazil because i mean you is probably the uh it is the best thing we've done right so well we said life-changing Literally, mm. literally, say. So. Um, we know that your favourite or, or the food you think would be best to make a house of would be those pick and mix crocodiles. So uh, we're going to skip 
we're going to skip that. We're going to go to <laughs> one of my favourite. Actually, no, let's let's go for the penultimate of. Um, is there anything or anyone that you uh, have disliked for no reason, like genuinely no reason? Um. Yeah. So, so the one that. The, the, the one that springs to mind is a bit of an odd one. But basically, I I used to have a default that I used to just dislike anyone who opened their mouth about nutrition. So I was just like, you're going to be an idiot. I'm not going to like you. Um, you won't know what you're talking about. Like just two days ago now, I had a meeting and this person, it was quite a, it was like a really important meeting and, and it did sort of go well. But this person said, oh, do you, have you heard of... Um, Oh, Jesse Pavelko or something. He's like a biggest loser celebrity trainer or something. But now he's like this flipping supermodel. Like he's like ridiculously good looking. Like he's in shape and he helps people lose weight. And he's oh, he's so nice. He's so kind and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, I was like I, I, that. This whole thing of like disliking was like oh, he's going to be a gimp basically. Um, and they started playing a video and the first three things he said were like really good, legit nutrition information. I was like, Oh wow. And then he was like, number four, don't eat late at night. And I was like, ha, I knew it. He's an idiot. Um, <laughs> but the, the one for me was like, I, um, I saw Jamie Alderton going for a DEXA scan when he did that. Um, whenever that was two, three years ago. And, you know, straight away on this kind of video, I felt like it was, you know, oh, I think it was like 11.6% body fat. And they were like, this is the lowest ever. And I was like, no, it's not. I was like, I've got athletes loads leaner than that. So I was like quite negative and like he was in shape and, uh, you know, didn't know him. I just made this judgment of like no reason not to like him. And um, I just, yeah, like not even like with you guys, me calling people out, it's like there's a reason not to like him. Like he was just being a, just a stand-up guy, just getting his body fat tested. But I didn't like him. And now... I do. So um, there you go. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure he knows that, but anyway. I that 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 Dexo, I've been on that machine. It definitely reads wrong. Really? That same yeah. one? Yeah, overestimates, definitely. Uh, yeah. It's an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, he, I, I listened to one of his podcasts, Jamie's once, and he did say a similar scenario in terms of just someone disliking him um, around when he was on holiday or something. I think obviously he's prancing around with shirt off on holiday. So I use the word prancing around, it's probably the wrong term, but um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, he just said that some, just randomly people started having a go at him on holiday because basically just immediately had an assumption because he's in half decent shape that he must be a bit of a bellend basically. Um, which is unfair. So, you know, yeah. I guess, I guess him, like maybe he's probably used to it. So I'm sure he won't mind you telling that story no i'm sure he doesn't know um cool right last question and this is a good one so uh i'll try and get it right because this can be sometimes a bit of a mouthful so would you rather be attacked by one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses now just think of the, the the context of it all in terms of what it really looks like and means and then just you know kind of weigh up the pros and cons because there is definitely a right answer is that <laughs> well in my opinion there is yeah. oh, wrong but yeah. what what was it so it, the, the small ones <coughs> what hundred a hundred duck sized, sized horses so just horses. think very small stocky muscular horses because we're you know we're talking arabs or something you know something quite a, a, a meaty horse you know, something strong and powerful or, or just one giant duck 
Which, if you've uh, ever come across ducks, they're angry. I'm going to have to go with the little ones. Uh, that's what I would prefer. Why? The hundred. Just because it's like they're little. Like the big duck, like it's massive. It could probably kill me, I think, like easily. I think a hundred uh, horses could. You know, even though they're small, they're powerful and a hundred of them. No, but no, it's no. irrelevant. No. Right. Okay. Is that the wrong answer? <laughs> according, to, according to Brett Hadley, it is, yeah. Everyone always says there's small, small horses. I'm like, I'm sure I would <laughs> much rather take on a giant duck. Because put it this way, like surely a giant duck, even though it could kill you, you could outrun it, I'm sure. Like how fast could a giant duck? Like a, there, you, there you go. This, just go and look at my Facebook post in three days. As soon as someone says surely, they're wrong. Yeah, Absolutely right. That's my. That's been my favourite thing. Surely, you just can't help it. Every post you put, I'm like, surely it depends on the context. <laughs> yeah, it's so annoying. I'm gonna start deleting your comments. <laughs> uh, you created, like I said, you created this, so live with yeah. it. This is absolutely yeah. true. Also, you didn't ask me to think about what's the best piece of advice I've ever given anyone. We did. Oh no, 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 no not didn't. no, no, not give anyone. We asked what you. No, we asked what you've been given. But you can, oh, let's, you can, let's go on. Let's hear that. Yeah, yeah let's let's have a, a, a sneaky special question then. So, what is the best advice you've given anyone, other than I know what the answer is going to be? But no, you can't say <laughs> other than because that's my that's my default. Okay. The best advice I've ever given anyone is don't do another nutrition course. Do Urban New, and that's genuine, and it and it's backed up by evidence. I.e., you two said it was life changing. So uh, I think that's um, my no, no. I think uh, there's a massive cohort of people which would probably conclude that evidence is correct. <sighs> Good. So, no, absolutely no. Um, big thank you for coming on um, and answering the, 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 the listener questions. Um, there is a super event coming up at the end of the month, so um, let's hear all about it. Yeah, cool. So the um, again, kind of depending on when this goes out, the key thing I suppose that I wanted to I'm saying to people at the minute is like second of November. Um, anyone who's ever been to one of our um, conferences or you know, like live events it's it we don't just book a, a room and just pack people in it and say you know head off for lunch to try and fend for yourselves and get a Tesco's and a cheap sandwiches that it on the 9th of December we've got Alan Aragon coming over from um, America and to do you know a, a really um, you know brand new we've kind of got him to do some brand new content for this event and you know it's going to be exciting but 2nd of November is the last chance for people to get um, a place to come and see him and you know like I said it's the you know really really nice kind of four star, four star hot buffet um, lunch it's it's the nicest venue we've ever used over at the East Midlands Conference Centre the Orchard Hotel Google it and um, yeah so I suppose loads of like-minded individuals you know, a rare kind of chance to see this and, and an exclusive in terms of the content. And um, in terms of like who it's for, I suppose, you know, just kind of thinking, I suppose, the, the kind of guys that you guys work with, it, it's not for someone who it, it's their first step into nutrition, but very much you don't have to be a practitioner to get a lot out of it. If you're a real nutrition enthusiast, just kind of like nutrition, geek out on it. I mean, one of the the things that we've, demanded is that he do like a really cool up-to-date myth busting session like the top 10 biggest myths and why and talk about the basic research around it and um so yeah that, you know stuff like that and then some insights into that's that was one of the really cool things is 
actually getting to him to because for a long time I think most people have known him just as this researcher and someone who puts out this kind of research review but actually before that he had a a good career working with clients so he's going to talk about these insights into working with individuals and um he's got that brilliant story which I would never stop telling if it was me where Stone Cold Steve Austin called him up and like he's his kind of headline client like I tell people that all the time um so I'm doing it for him but um yeah so if if people want information on that it's it's mac nutritionunicom forward slash just alan a-l-a-n nice i can already think of one of ed's clients who's kind of been in now groups and stuff that would like really see that kind of stuff someone who's just just getting into nutrition and i was you know someone who jack right yeah no i was going to say actually if you're if you want to step into the industry because you're interested i don't see it being a bad decision to come because oh, not just for the content but just the networking opportunity I think one of the things that I'm entirely grateful for from MNU is just being able to just connect with like-minded people and just kind of yeah. get to know people it's huge it's, it's as good as the opportunity there is as good as the actual content I'm sure so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I guess if you look at like you talked about earlier some of the um, the people in the lab mm. and the, the feedback you get on threads and the learning you can get from those threads you know it's next level so that alone is really worth it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and I would I would absolutely concur. There's only one nutrition course to do. We've all said about it in our own personal time, so it's not like we're just saying it because you're here. Um, yeah. It's like anyone listening, if they want to get involved, then like I think, Martin, you'd be more than happy to obviously hear from anyone or answer any questions that they've got, wouldn't you? Yeah, 100%. Like, again, just the as, as the course grows, like I essentially can't employ new staff quick enough at the minute to people's kind of saying well you know you're still capping the numbers of the intakes and and we will always do that based on what we can deliver because what I suppose makes MNU so unique is the fact that it's as close to being sort of in a you know a class like we have your classmates like you you know you guys on this podcast were classmates right and Mm -hmm. look how amazing that has kind of become and what how you guys are now helping others with the information so it's we also want that thing of it's tutor-led people aren't reading a textbook and taking an exam it's like you get each bit we're kind of checking understanding and going through it so I just I want to say this out loud because when I type it I'm not sure it always comes across but when we fill up and it fills up long before the the enrollment period closes I get these messages from people just like, oh my goodness, like, is there, can I get on? I'm like, I really wanted to do the course and this, that and the other. And it like, genuinely, I'm like, I feel so bad, like having to say no, like we're obviously big on customer service and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, and I'll even go to my staff, like, can we, can we let some more people on? Like Sarah, you've met Sarah. She's like, (laughs) no, it can't. No, Martin, we said 150, no more. Um, So I just sort of say to people, if they're one of those people who are desperate, do that thing of actually just sign up when um, the enrollment opens rather than kind of putting it off because yeah. it is human nature, but we don't mark it heavily of like, even though I get accused of that a bit, re- been accused of it recently, but um, I'm not just doing this to try and heighten the thing. Like it, I mean, it'll be bad if it doesn't now, but every single three intakes we have, you know, surpassed and filled up long before enrollments have, have closed. Mm. And if people are interested, just hop on the priority list. Make sure we're not going to your junk folder, and just sign up when you when you get the email. So it's just beginning of December. Enrollments open for 
the March 2018 intake. And again, people flipping, oh, I'm not ready to start in December, I'll start in 2018. It's like, no, you wouldn't roll in December and your course doesn't start till till March. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity to be able to plug that because I'm like, this is, this is my uh, chance to get that through to people who might be interested. No, definitely. And I think um, like, again you know we've all said it in our own personal time so huge advocates and like when i say it's, it's changed my life I, I don't i don't even say that lightly i genuinely mean that so um cool well is there anything else you want to add in terms of i mean i guess maybe shout your social so people can get in contact if they need oh yeah yeah so um yeah, I'm like living on social media at the minute a little bit. So yeah, feel free to, um, if, if you've got any questions about MNU, that's been another really great thing. People sending me DMs on Instagram and just, I put the answer on my story and then I get 10 more messages going, oh, that was really helpful. I didn't know that. Thanks very much. So yeah, at Martin Nutrition is my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle where I'm doing loads more at the minute. And then, um, you know, Facebook, Martin is just Oh no, it's Martin Nutrition, facebook.com forward slash Martin Nutrition, but just Martin McDonald. And um, I will be starting a public figure page very soon. So if people do want to you know, get a bit more content from me, then that's where I'm going to put a lot of my stuff in. You know, I'm going to get a, a new website where I'm actually going to try and be in a content creator rather than um, just a bit of a troll and um, a, a sort of a infotainment person to follow like actually put out some decent content that people can refer back to a bit more structured um, yeah so yeah cool Matt cool yeah just make sure it's Martin Mac M-A-C right not M-C please and yeah there you go when, when this goes live please M-A-C I get so angry people I don't know like, I don't think it's that bad to, to want your name spelled right isn't it like rocking up to conferences and my MC is like that's not me that's not my name um yeah but anyway um, I think I'm, I'm too used to Starbucks getting my name wrong in fact I think the major problem is drinking coffee at Starbucks but by the by cool, cool. well hit the button Ed yeah a big, Ed? Ed's not Little. here yeah um, he's getting your name wrong on purpose it's, it's horrendous isn't it you know Ed, Ed normally hits the button that's... mate it's, it's super, lucky you're here it's, it's actually nice to have you here so we have to actually pull in the big dogs the G-Man Martin, to actually get you on the podcast. I've been, yeah, I've been busy. I've been busy. Sure, right. Anyway, I'm going to end it now. So thank cool. you so much. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.